scripture for this morning, Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you when you were in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness." And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the hosts of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry, dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went, at, went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. In the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of the fire and of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. 
Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, you are a strong, strong deliverer, and I pray again as I prayed earlier that you would reveal yourself to us as that now. Lord, I pray that the content of these chapters and the content of this sermon would not only sink into our minds, but that it would sink into our hearts. I pray that we would know that we have been in the presence of the God who delivered Israel. And I pray that you particularly would give hope and encouragement to anyone here today who feels like they're in an impossible situation and they need to know that you are God. They need to know that you are with them. They need to know that when the time is full, you will deliver them to Oh, Father, come now, I pray, and reveal yourself in the strong and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, beloved, it's been more than 10 years now since my friend Vijay Sastri saw a vision in prayer that shaped his life. He had uh, grown up in the home of a pastor in south-central India, and in fact, this guy was dedicated to the Lord by his father to the ministry on the day that he was born. So his parents see that they have a boy, it's their firstborn son, they give him to God and give him over to the ministry of the church even as a boy. And now Vijay's grown up and he's accepted this call, but he's praying now and he's asking God, please give me more a particular direction for my life. In fact, Vijay sought the Lord for two and a half years seeking particular direction. Here's a man who is really going after God, really wants to know the will of God, and will not begin to walk in any direction until he knows that God has laid out the path. And so he's seeking and seeking. And finally, when the time was full, one day God gave him a vision in prayer. He was in his private room praying, and he, and, and he describes his vision in these words. Vijay says, In the vision, I saw a hand come from above and quickly draw a map of the world. And then on that map, he drew a small box on top of it. And then I heard a voice saying, Jesus is coming soon. Be prepared and make many prepared. Jesus is coming soon. Be prepared and make many prepared. So this vision, as you can imagine, really gripped Vijay's heart. And the, the picture of the map with the box on it and the words from the Lord, but he didn't quite know what it meant. He was in Bible school at the time, and so he went to one of his classes, and there a professor was sharing prayer requests, and with a projector, something like this. The, project, the, the professor pr- projected a map of the world up onto the wall, and the map had the same box on it that Vijay had seen. And when he saw that map up on the wall, he thought to himself, that is the map that God showed me. And what it turns out is that the rectangle on the map was the, the 1040 window, we call it. It's that part of the world between the 10th latitude and the 40th latitude. And when you, when you encircle the globe with that box, what you find is that almost all of the unreached peoples in the world live inside that box. And most all of them are Muslim. So for the gospel to make its final push into the world, it really has to push into this 1040 window. And when Vijay saw that picture up on the wall and realized that was the vision God had given him in in his prayer time, he also realized that God was calling him to lay his life down and to plant churches and to spread the gospel all throughout that window and particularly to Muslims. And so he finished his time at Bible college and then went on for further education in Islamic studies, which brought him here to the Twin Cities, which is why I met him. 
He went to Luther Seminary for four years and connected with Bethlehem Baptist Church for all of those years and learned a lot and prepared himself well. And, and when he was done with all that, he went back to India to a big city called Hyderabad. And it was actually, I think, a little bit to the east of Hyderabad, but basically in that area, if you know India. And he began a ministry called Reach All Nations. And you can see this at reachallnations.org. It's a website worth taking some time, reachallnations.org. It seemed that God was moving mightily in Vijay's life. Things were just falling in place one after another. But one day, he's driving down the road there in India, and there, there are people in the car with him. I can't remember if he was the one driving or if someone else was driving. But the long and short of it is that as they're going down the road, whoever was driving lost control of the car, and the car flipped over and over and ended up going into a canal that was right along the side of the road that was filled with water. So picture in your mind four or five people in the car, and now it's upside down in the canal, literally submerged in the water. Praise be to God, there were people, quite a few people there that saw this happen. So they rushed over to the car, and they got everybody out, or so they thought. And they brought them to the side of the road, and for the time being, it looked like everybody had lived. But after some time had passed by, the people who had been rescued out of the car realized that Vijay was not with them. They realized that he was still inside the car, upside down, submerged in the water. And so they told the people, and everybody rushed back to the car and looked in there, and sure enough, there's the man, he's still in the car. So in a panic, they get him out of the car, and they bring him to the side of the road, but they don't have any hope for his life, really, because, believe it or not, he had been under that water for 45 minutes. Now, I know a couple teams that have gone over to India from Bethlehem. One of the pastors of Bethlehem, Tom Steller in particular, there's some of our, our fellow church planter friends that have also been over there. They've confirmed that the story is true. Vijay spent 45 minutes submerged upside down in a car in water. And so, by way of a miracle, there by the side of the road, they do what they can to resuscitate him, having no hope for his life at all. But by way of a miracle, he begins breathing again and he comes back to life. Praise be to God. And this was so stunning to everybody who saw it, most all of whom were Hindus, that they said, your God must be great. and We want to worship your God. Please tell us about your God. And right there when Vijay got a hold of himself, he was able to preach the gospel to the people on scene and many of the people believed. And the fame of Jesus spread around that area and over the coming weeks and months, many more people believed and the, the ministry called Reach All Nations really took off from that moment. There, there was the ministry before and it had some fruit, but from that moment forward, the ministry really took off. Now, a couple years ago when I heard Vijay tell this story, he, he, I remember very clearly that he said when he was going down underneath the water, he was saying to God, he's saying, Lord, I don't understand what this is all about. I don't get this. I, I thought you had given me a vision to reach the nations. I thought you had told me to prepare myself and to prepare many others for the coming of Jesus. I thought you were going to use me to reach Muslims in the 1040 window. And Father, I just don't understand. I don't understand. And with that, he lost consciousness and spent the next 45 minutes submerged underwater. Beloved, the ways of God are very mysterious at times. Very mysterious. The Lord often loves to put His people in impossible situations so that only He can rescue them out of that situation and gain glory for Himself. He does this time and time and time again, and I think we need to learn to expect it as a normal part of walking with God. He delights to do this. He did it in Vijay's life, and He did it in the life of Israel as well. Moses 
And the Israelites learned this lesson firsthand as God Himself purposely stuck them between an ocean and a mighty army, and they saw no way of escape whatsoever. Just days before this, they had witnessed the mighty hand of God stretching out against Egypt. You'll remember that God struck the people with ten plagues, one after another, after another, after another, all designed to highlight the fact that He is God and that Pharaoh is not God, that He is the living one and that the, the religion of Egypt was false. And with that tenth plague, God stretched out His hand and struck every firstborn male of Egypt, whether a man or whether a beast, from the greatest to the least, He struck them all to show that He is the Lord of life and death, that He alone is God, and certainly everybody in the world got the message. We'll see a little bit later today in the passage that the peoples around Egypt were trembling because of the things that God had done. To help Israel remember what God had done. He commanded that they do two things. You'll see this in chapter 13. First of all, He commanded that they keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to say anything more about that now. And the second thing He did was commanded them to dedicate their firstborn sons to the Lord. In the same way that Vijay Sastri was given over to the Lord from birth, the command to Israel was every time a male human being breaks the womb, that you are to give that male to the Lord for service to the Lord. They are to be priests to God. And this was to commemorate what God had done with the firstborn. Some families were allowed to redeem their sons out of this, and we'll see how this progresses throughout the Pentateuch. But for now, we just need to be clear about this. God demands the firstborn and says, give the firstborn over to service to me. And this was even true of, of animals. Any animal that a family had, the firstborn male had to be dedicated to the Lord for service to Him in a number of ways and whatever that meant. And I believe that the purpose of God in doing this was not just to give them things to do, but it was to cause them to remember what God had done. They were in, in an impossible situation and God, with His mighty hand, stretched it out and delivered them from that situation and now He wanted them to remember my dad used to tell me all the time, he said that his forgetter was the best working part in his whole body. He's just forgetting, 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 and I relate to that. Do you? You're forgetting things all the time. It's amazing to me. When I love, I, that one of the reasons I journal is because it helps me to remember what God has done. And it amazes me when I'll go back a year or two years and break up my journal and, be, and begin reading... And I will have totally forgotten big things God did in my life and, and spoke into my life. We're just so skilled at forgetting. And so God is always telling us, remember, 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 remember. And so He gave them a, an annual feast. And He gave them a regular dedication of the firstborn to cause them to remember the great things that God had done. You'll see there in chapter 13, four different times. Verse 3 Verse 9, verse 14, verse 16. It says, Do these things so that you remember that by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So the Lord wanted His people to remember His power over and over and over again. Having delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh, God now led His people in the desert in a, in a very unusual way. He took the people... The shortest route from Egypt to Israel was just to go directly to the northeast. There was a really good road there. It was well-traveled. It was well-known. It would have been an easy way to get from Egypt to Israel. But instead of going that way, God led them directly to the east. It's kind of like saying, we're going from Minneapolis to Des Moines, but we're going to go uh, by way of Sioux Falls. 
It just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's a very circuitous route, way out of the way, a lot of pain, a lot of trouble, not a lot of provisions out there in the desert, but God led them on purpose out in that way. It says in chapter 13, verse 17, that he did this so that they wouldn't confront the army of the Philistines on their way up and then be afraid and go back to Egypt. But we're about to see God defeat the strongest army on the face of the earth with nothing more than his word, with a little bit of wind and a little bit of water. So God could have defeated the Philistine army as well. This was not about the Philistine army. God was trying to set up a situation that was going to display his glory. God had a plan, He had a purpose, and, and, and so He knew what He was doing in leading His people way out of the way. They may have been confused, but God was not confused. And the other thing the Lord did was He granted them a sign. He granted them a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by night, so that wherever He wanted them to go, they would know very clearly where to go. I'll say a lot more about that cloud in coming weeks, because that becomes a very important part of the activity of God with His people. But for now, just file that away and know this. God had a purpose, God had a plan, and God was directly and purposefully leading His people where He wanted them to go. This brings us to chapter 14. You'll see there at the beginning, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we don't know the places that's being, that are being talked about there. But when you look at it on a map and all of that, what you end up seeing is that God instructed Moses to sort of lead his people to do all kinds of strange maneuvers in the desert. And what he was doing was trying to bait Pharaoh into going out into the desert to chase them. The Lord was making it look like the people didn't know they were going, where they were going. We'll go to the north, the east, the west, the south. We've got two million people look like they're, they're totally confused and wandering and they don't know what they're doing. And what God is trying to do is bait Pharaoh out into the desert and it worked. You'll see there in the beginning of verse, of uh, chapter 14 that Pharaoh and his servants, who had just days before, we're talking about three, four, five days before, They had just been urgently pleading with him, Pharaoh, let these people go. Get them out of our land. Their God is going to strike us all to death. Please get them out, get them out, get them out. And now all of them have had a change of mind. Pharaoh and his servants, and they rise up. They gather the elite chariot forces. They gather all of the non-elite forces. And as a mighty, mighty army, they, they march out toward the east, toward the people of Israel, to overtake them and to bring these two million people back into their land and back into slavery. As Pharaoh's forces begin approaching the place where Israel was. Israel lifted up their eyes and saw this mighty army marching toward them. And you can imagine that when they saw that, fear was struck into their hearts. They were literally encamped right on the edge of an ocean. And now this mighty army has come and plugged in the valley. And there's no way of escape for them. They are literally stuck, nearly defenseless between an uh, an ocean and an army with nowhere to go. And they're very afraid. And the Bible says they look up to God and they cry out to God. And they don't, the Bible doesn't say what they prayed, but I'm sure it wasn't very articulate at that point. It's probably one of those panic prayers where they're just basically saying, Oh God, help us. God, please, please help us. And not being able to take their fear out on God directly, they turned on Moses a little bit. And they began to complain to him. They began to grumble toward him. They asked him what he was thinking. What, what, what possibly could have possessed him to bring these people out there? They said to him, Moses, listen, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Were they running out of real estate there so they wouldn't have been able to bury us anywhere? Is that why you brought us out here just so that we could be killed by this mighty army? Moses, didn't we tell you? Didn't we plead with you and tell you? We wanted to stay in Egypt. 
We wanted to stay under the service of Pharaoh. Even though it was a hard life, it was better than coming against the strongest nation on the earth. So what were you thinking? Are you totally incompetent? What's wrong with you? Why did you bring us out into the desert? What have you gotten us into? Moses was a true man of God. And so rather than debating the people point by point, rather than getting embroiled in a big thing with them, he simply answered them with courage and by faith. Chapter 14, verse 13. Please look there with me. I take the title of the sermon from this text. Moses says to them, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now if you look at the very next verse, you'll see that the Bible says that the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Why do you cry to me, Moses? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. So I take from this that when the people of Israel came against Moses, that he didn't just respond to them, but he asked for some time and he went and spent some time with the Lord. He prayed. He cried out to God. And he was keeping his stress upon God. He was not only afraid of the army, but now he's got two million people coming against him as well. And he's crying out to God. And God faithfully leads him. And God essentially tells him, Moses, the people have got their eyes on the circumstance. And what I need you to do is not debate them point by point. I need you to lift their chins up, lift their heads up. Help them to see me. Help them to look off the circumstance and help them to see me. Help them to see my purposes. Help them to see my greatness. And out of this time with the Lord, I I believe, came this word from the Lord, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. The Word is deliberately trying to take people's eyes off of circumstance and off of self and put them onto God and trust in the Lord who was certainly, certainly working on their behalf. Having obeyed the Lord in this, the Lord now instructed Moses to go over by the sea and to lift up his staff and to lift his hand up over the waters that the sea might divide and the people might cross on dry ground. That must have seemed insane to him. There's no oceans around here, but we got Lake Malax, so that's close enough, right? Can you imagine going to Lake Malax and all the, and, and God telling you, no, that's the way you're gonna go? You're gonna cross right across Malax? Isn't that insane? But that's what God said. And God also promised that when He split the sea that He would bait the army of Pharaoh into the waters and in that moment He would gain great glory for His name over the people of Egypt and He would show that He Himself is God. And so Moses obeyed the Lord and he went and he lifted up his staff and he lifted up his hand over the sea and the Lord caused a very, very strong east wind We had a strong wind around here this week as well. That wind was probably nothing compared to the wind that struck up this night. It blew hard and it blew all night long and that turned the sea into a dry land. Now I want to pause there for a moment and let this sink in because I've always had the image in my mind I probably shouldn't have watched Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments but I've always had the image in my mind that as soon as Moses lifted his hands up over the sea that it was an instant split but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that the, that the wind blew all night long, and it took all night long for those seas to divide. 
Now the angel of the Lord had been encamped at the front of the people of Israel, which I take to mean he was near the sea. But before Moses had stretched his hand out over the sea, the angel of the Lord, who was displaying the glory of the Lord in the fire of that cloud, moved to the back of the encampment. And the angel of the Lord was now between the people of Israel and the army of Pharaoh. And so all the light was at the back of the encampment, and there was no light shining out upon the sea. And so we have to put ourselves in their place and realize that what they know is that they're between an ocean and an army, and the light is near to the army and not the ocean. And now this massive wind has, has come up, but they don't know what God is doing. They have no idea what God is doing. I know Moses knew because God had told him, but I'm certain that there was not time for him to inform two million people about what God was doing. And so the people were massively stuck in a bad, bad situation. Night had fallen along the land, by the way. This was all happening now in the nighttime. So night had fallen on the land. It's totally dark. The wind is blowing. They don't know what God is doing. All they know is that they're stuck and that a wind is blowing very, very, very hard. This was no doubt a very frightening moment, a very perplexing moment. And I think the people of Israel at this moment probably felt a lot like my friend Vijay did when he was going under the water. They were probably crying out to God and saying in so many words, God, I don't understand. What are you doing here? I, I don't understand. What about your promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? What about your promise to deliver us out of Egypt? What about all the power we just saw you exercise? What were all the plagues about? All the, everything about? Pharaoh finally let us go and we come out into this desert and now we're stuck in this situation? I thought we had just been delivered. So what's this about? I'm sure, just like my friend Vijay, in this moment they felt very, very confused. But the wind just kept blowing and blowing and blowing and blowing all night long. And it seemed to them that God was silent. However, as the sun began to resurrect over the horizon and the people could see the land, and the people could see the sea, they came to understand that this wind that they thought may have been a foe was in fact the very means God had given them for deliverance. They saw that the wind had driven back the waters, and that there was now dry ground, and there was a place of escape. And the commentaries that I read this week about this said, listen, to get two million people across that sea, the dry ground must have been massive, at least a mile wide, maybe, maybe more. It, it must have been massive. They saw that the things that were perplexing them, that were striking fear into their hearts, were in fact messengers from God to bring deliverance to them, to bring a day of escape to them. And so against all odds, two million people in Israel go across the sea and indeed make it all the way across. As the Lord had promised, He hardened Pharaoh's heart and baited him to come right into the middle of the sea. And when they were there, the Lord Himself, the Bible says, confused the troops. And he he put them into a panic. And not only that, but their wheels began to clog from the mud. And they weren't able to drive as well. And they put two and two together and said, The Lord is fighting for Israel and against us. Now I find that very, very interesting because they, they did not just conclude that things weren't going well for them that day. They actually saw that the hand of the mighty God who delivers His people was now working against them and there was no hope for them. And so they decided to retreat. But as they were retreating, the Lord commanded Moses one more time to stretch out his hands over the waters. And indeed, all of the waters of the sea returned upon the people of Pharaoh, and they all died there in the Red Sea. Years and years before, 
Pharaoh had commanded that the male children of the Hebrews be cast into the waters and be drowned to death. And now God not only used that against Pharaoh because he used that command to put Moses right into Pharaoh's household, but now God used this man, Moses, to stretch out his hands over a sea so that Pharaoh himself was drowned in the waters. Don't miss the irony here. Don't miss the connection here. God is clearly trying to show that he is the Lord over life and death. He alone determines who will die in the waters. In this way, the Lord saved Israel. He was the salvation of Israel. He was the deliverer of Israel. And they saw it with their own eyes. They watched God, with a little bit of water and a little bit of wind, decimate the most powerful army on the face of the earth. He never lifted a finger, never lifted a sword. As God said to them, the people only had to be silent and watch God fight for them. Since God was for them, who could possibly be against them? Amen? And God inspired the people of Israel so much with this. It says there at the end of chapter 14, you'll see that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and they believed in His servant Moses. So now, anything that they thought about God in their minds became so real because they had now seen a manifestation of the power of God. It was no longer just in their minds They had seen the deliverance of God with their eyes and they believed in Him and they believed in His servant Moses, which I simply take to mean they believed that Moses had come from God, that he was not just acting in his flesh, but that God had commanded him to take the people out of Israel. And in that moment, they greatly respected him and maybe even had awe of him. Not too long down the road, they're going to begin grumbling. But for the moment, they really, really respect Moses. I think, beloved, it would have been a life-shaping experience, absolutely before and after kind of experience, to be present there and to watch God drive back the waters of the sea and to watch God destroy the greatest army on the face of the earth. But I actually think that the most important moment in this story was the moment where the people of Israel were caught between the army and the sea and they had no idea what God was going to do. I really think that's the most important moment in the story, and here's why. The moment of waiting on the Lord and wondering what the Lord will do, how He will deliver, that's the moment where faith is built. That's the moment where we're, where we're made strong in faith because we are forced to believe in God. We're forced to take our eyes off of circumstances and lift up our eyes to Him who delivers and believe in Him and cling to Him and trust in Him and wait upon Him. When you already know the end of the story, there's no place for faith. But when you're in the middle of the suffering and you don't know where it's going, that's the place where faith is built. That's the place where faith rises. That's the place where God speaks a powerful word like this. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Do you know what kind of faith it would take to obey that word? When you're literally between an ocean and an army, and you have no way of defense, and you have to not fear what you really ought to fear in the flesh? You have to stand your ground, stand firm and be immovable, knowing that God is with you, and when the time is right, He will deliver you. Oh, beloved, that is such an amazingly, massively important moment of life. It's like God says to us in those times, I know you're in an impossible situation, I know you're stuck, I know there's no way forward, there's no way backward, and here's how I know it, because I put you there. I did this. This is not an accident. It would have been much more convenient to lead you to the northeast and to just 
blow a little breath and wipe the Philistine army right out of your way. It would have been so easy, but that wasn't my purpose. To gain glory for myself, I put you in between a rock and a hard place. I put you in an impossible situation. I put you between an ocean and an army so that you'd have to look to me and believe in me and see my deliverance. And when I worked my deliverance, then, indeed then, you cried out to me and praised me and believed in me. This reminds me so much of Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. I read this in my personal quiet time this week and it impacted me so much. Another army, the Assyrians, were coming against Israel. And Ahab, or Ahaz, I don't remember which one. All these names get confusing to me at times in the Bible. So be comforted. I've been reading the Bible for 25 years and I still get these things confused. But one of those kings was scared. And so God sent the prophet to Ahaz or Ahab and said these words to him in chapter 8 verse 12 of Isaiah. He said, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. And He will be a sanctuary to you. Oh, that speaks so powerfully to me. Last Sunday at Bethlehem Baptist Church, I preached on Psalm 112 in the fear of the Lord. And I was sharing that it's the strangest fear in all the world because when the fear of God comes into the heart of a man or a woman, it casts out every other fear. It's a fear that makes you unafraid of everything else. And this is what God is saying to His people in the midst of an impossible situation. Oh, my people, look to me. Believe in me. Fix your eyes on me. Cling to me. Fear me alone. And you will have nothing else to fear in this life. You know why? Because if God is for you, who could possibly be against you? Amen? If God is working on your side, what army could come against you to destroy you? God is mighty, beloved. He's more mighty than we've ever imagined. The power that rises that sun up and down every day is an immense, immense, immense power. And when He says to us, Fear not because you fear Me. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Oh, beloved, that's the place where faith is built. As for Israel, when the time was full, the deliverance did come. But leading up to that moment, nothing happening in their lives looked much like deliverance. Did it? If you thought God was delivering you with an ocean and an army and a mighty strong wind, would any of that look like or feel like deliverance? It did not, but it was because God knew what He was doing. He deliberately put them in that place to display His glory, to show that He was the Lord, and to fill their hearts with joy, and the plan worked. Look with me at chapter 15. I'm going to read this whole song. This is a song. This is a song of deliverance. They sung it with all of their hearts. They felt it deeply because they just watched God reveal Himself to them. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His host He cast into the sea, and His chosen officers 
In other words, His elite ones were sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble at the blast of your nostrils. The waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, the greatest army on the face of the earth said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew your wind, O Lord, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Oh, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength and by your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia, that army that they were to be afraid of. Now they're trembling in fear. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread have fallen upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which you have established, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Oh, praise God. There are some moments in the Bible where I really wish I could have been here, there, and this is one of those moments. I would have loved to hear the music. I would have loved to hear the singing. I would have loved to hear the rejoicing. And you'll see there at the end of the chapter, this song wasn't sung once. Miriam kept helping the people sing and sing and sing. She was Moses' sister, and she was cooperating with him to help two million people sing a song of salvation. But for me, beloved, the point of this story is this. That without moments of fear and wondering, there can be no songs of deliverance. Without that time at the Red Sea where you wonder if you'll be swallowed and caught and killed, there can be no great song of deliverance that rises and says, Oh, the Lord is truly God. Until you see it with your own eyes, you don't know. And so God in faithfulness, beloved, in faithfulness puts us in impossible situations so that He can deliver. The rainbow appears. Why? Because of the rain. The light shines because of the flame. And songs of deliverance come out of times of suffering. Without the suffering, without the waiting, without the wondering, there can be no deep joy of deliverance. And so, trust in the Lord your God. He knows what He is doing. Yeah, maybe He's leading you to Des Moines by way of South Dakota. Trust Him. He knows exactly what He's doing. Like my friend Vijay, and like the people of Israel, I think some of you probably feel like you too have been led out of the wilderness and into an impossible situation. You don't understand what God's doing. You have this feeling inside of your heart of, of what just happened. What did we just do? Where are we? 
Were there not enough graves where we were already living that God brought us here to be destroyed? You feel like there's no way of escape, like it's impossible. You don't see a way out. But if you're fearing the Lord your God, if you're looking to Him, if you're trusting in Him, if you're clinging to Him, you have to know that He knows what He's doing and He's brought you to this place to build your faith. And I believe that He's brought you here this morning to receive this Word. And I've been praying all week long, Oh Lord, please let the right people receive this Word deeply into their hearts, not just in their minds. May God grant that right now. Fear not, beloved. God knows what He's doing. Stand firm. Take your stand in Christ. Take your stand in God. Trust in Him. Cling to Him. Believe in Him. And when the time is full, you will see the salvation of the Lord. I don't know how long it will take for Israel. It took pretty short time in this instance. For you, it may be days, weeks, months, years. I don't know. But what I know is that if you will fix your eyes on God rather than on your circumstances, if you'll cling to Jesus Christ and hope in Him and trust in Him alone, when the time is full, your suffering will give way to deliverance and a song of deliverance like this will rise up out of your heart this much, I promise. So cling, cling, cling to the Lord. Let's pray along that lines now. Father, I do want to thank You so much for Your Word. I want to thank You for making Your Word live in our midst today. I want to thank You for being the living God. You're not just a God who spoke to Your people so many years ago, but You're a God who's literally with us right here in this room right now. And You're speaking to us by the Holy Spirit and through the Word and because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want to thank You for that, Father. And Lord, I want to pray especially for those here today who just need to hear this Word. That the situation that they're in, that You have done it and You know what You're doing. Oh God, please root Your people in Your promises, I pray. Please teach us to fear You so that we'll fear no other. Please teach us to stand our ground in the solid rock of Jesus Christ. When the time is full, Father, I pray that You would unleash our eyes, unveil our eyes, and allow us to see the salvation of the Lord. Oh, Father, we don't begrudge You for giving us this opportunity to grow in faith. And we thank You for all that You'll do for the glory of Your name and the good of others and the joy of our soul. In the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.